with Danny Lauren Kramers. Thank you again for joining us for the EYE Show podcast. I'm one of the surgeons here at Visionary Eye Doctors. And today we're going to talk about cancer diets. And I know it's kind of crazy for an eye surgeon to talk about cancer diets, but I've done this before. Uh, I have a lot of kind of uh, knowledge about this. And I'll tell you the story for those of you that have not heard this. But I want to make this video for a friend who was recently diagnosed with melanoma at a very young age. She's in her late 40s. And so I'm sure her family and her are kind of struggling to figure out what's the right thing to do because she's being bombarded with different uh, treatment options by her doctors. I'm sure she knows about some natural things we're going to talk about today. But I want to kind of make this video again for her and her family and for those people. Uh, people out there, my patients and so forth, that are really trying to understand what to do if they're diagnosed with cancer. And so all of us know what cancer really is. It's a mutation in a cell that leads to abnormal cells growing in a particular tissue that then spread because of what we call angiogenesis, the new blood supply, and they spread over the body and they take over, destroy other cells, and essentially cause death through abnormal cell function in both organs and systems. And my process of understanding where the role of natural diet options uh, run in this kind of realm of medical treatment happened in uh, 2015, and I'm gonna tell you what's, what happened then, uh, but just to kind of note, and I've mentioned this before in other podcasts, that most MDs, most doctors out there, Western trained medical doctors, still know little about diet and little about natural things that can prevent disease. And I think that's still unfortunately true. So when you are diagnosed with cancer, you have a loved one that's diagnosed with cancer and you see your medical doctor at one of the best hospitals in the world, whether it's MD Anderson or, or uh, Johns Hopkins or Harvard or Stanford or you know all the great medical institutions, they're starting to talk about diet more, I've heard from patients, but in some places they don't and they will go through the chemotherapy, the radiation, the surgery that's needed, and all of that has been shown with multiple studies to be beneficial. So I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but I want to just provide a different alternative idea. So I want you to, I'm going to tell you the story that I've mentioned before in my previous podcast of how I got into this area. And I want you to understand that sometimes it's important to just try to kind of get all your data, have different kind of knowledge points, but sometimes you just got to figure out, well, you know, in a way you kind of pray and say, you know, Lord, help me figure out the right plan for myself because every patient's a little different. And this story I'm going to tell you may not translate to every patient in the world. And some patients really do need to have immediate surgery, cancer, radiation, or they will die. But this story about Lily... Uh, a friend of mine that I really learned, met in 2015, really changed my perspective on cancer treatment. So I had heard from my friend, Ceci, that her oldest sister had died of breast cancer roughly around 2012. And that they're a family, I think, of about eight or 11 kids, and the oldest sister died of breast cancer. And the two weeks later, the youngest sister, Ceci's in the middle, the youngest sister, Lily, found a lump in her breast. And she went to the same doctor as her older sister went to, a very well-known uh, breast doctor. And the doctor told her she had less than three months to live because she had metastatic stage four breast cancer. It had already metastasized to her pericardium, to her spinal cord, and the death sentence was the liver. She had an eight centimeter tumor 
from the breast cancer to her liver. And therefore, she was told she had three months to live. That's what we were taught in medical school as well. You would have three months to live if it hit your liver. So she was told immediately excision, radiation, chemotherapy, the whole nine yards, let's do, be, you know, treat very aggressively. Because at the time, she, I think she was in her 40s and she had three young kids at home. And so it was one of those issues where she had to kind of make a big decision what she was going to do. And of course, I'm sure she was thinking, well, let's go ahead and follow what this amazing doctor is recommending. But the family was cleaning out the older sister's house and Lily came up upon the older sister's diary. And she was reading through it and she realized her sister was thinking of doing the Gerson diet. And I think I mentioned this to you before, but Max Gerson was a German-born American physician who had this kind of anti-cancer diet called the Gerson diet around the 1950s. And it was something that was probably used for a while, but became very controversial and his license was strict in the United States and he was ostracized to Mexico. But she had heard of this diet and she was thinking of going down to Mexico to learn how to do this diet. But I think it, you know, life was probably overwhelming and she already started maybe chemo and radiation and things happened that she couldn't do the Gerson diet. But Lily and her husband did a lot of research and they decided against medical advice to go to Mexico and learn how to do the Dr. Gerson diet. And so when I heard about this and the fact that she had been living for three years after the diagnosis, I said to my friend, Ceci, I got to meet her. I, I can't believe this is true. How could a patient with liver metastasis from breast cancer, stage four breast cancer, live past a year, much less three years? And so I sat down with Lily and Ceci at Ceci's kitchen table and I just asked Lily all these questions and Lily was the most amazing person because she was so sweet, so kind, so funny and both of them together, it was just an absolute joy and I couldn't believe my ears of what she was saying. So the Gerson diet, basically she explained, is three key components. Number one is a strict vegetarian diet. Number two is a juicing therapy. And number three is detoxification by, I think she was doing three enemas a day, coffee ground enemas. And when I heard that, I was like, what do you mean by enemas? She's like, you know, sticking up something up your ass. And I was like, oh my gosh, what do you mean by that? And so Ceci pulled out, she, Ceci, the sister who didn't have cancer, my friend, uh, who's given me permission to talk about this for the benefit of my patients, thank you, Ceci, pulled out her tube that she was putting in coffee ground enemas, sticking it up her rectum to do this enema detoxification. And when she pulled out the tubes, Lily, the sister, younger sister who did have the cancer, who had the three-month death sentence pronounced to her, started laughing and laughing and laughing. And I looked at Ceci and I said, why is Lily laughing? And Ceci said, I don't know. And Lily wouldn't stop laughing. And so Lily stepped out of the room. She went to her purse, pulled out her tube for these daily enemas and showed me that the diameter of Lily's tube was probably a third of the size of what Ceci was using to do the enemas for, <laughs> for, for many years. So it was very funny because they were literally, you know, Ceci was preventing cancer by doing detoxification and doing these coffee ground enemas. And the details of that are pretty straightforward. You take your coffee grounds, which are organic, 
you put it in a syringe with a little bit of water, you stick the, the, the tube up your butt in your rectum and you just kind of syringe out all the stuff in your colon. And the idea behind that is detoxification uh, to basically try to eliminate toxins from your body. And there's other doctors that have mentioned this uh, probably in the past, but Dr. Gerson is the first doctor I know of that's actually recommend that as a routine treatment for health and specifically as an anti-cancer diet. So Lily, at that time, went through the, the diet with me. Everything is organic. Um, she does juicing. I think at that time, it, she was doing juicing every two hours with approved fruits and vegetables. Everything was organic. And so she had to take off time from work to be able to juice, but she did work for a while and to do the enemas, of course. And I think she was doing it three times a day. The vegetarian diet, no types of kind of uh, certain detergents had to be approved by the Gerson diet. Of course, no fingernail polish, no perfumes, no cleaning of your house with, de with chemicals, detergent. Of course, no pesticides in your garden, um, no dyeing of your hair, no makeup. It was very strict. But because Ceci had three young kids at home, she followed this diet to a T. She went to Mexico with her husband. They taught her how to do the juicing, how to do the enemas, all that was mentioned to her. And she lived for eight months, eight years, sorry, eight years and eight months after her initial diagnosis. And I had the pleasure of meeting with her and getting to know her and of course her family because her story was an absolute shocker to me, a surgeon, Western trained, because I've never heard of such a story. So when I met her, I started doing a lot of research on this and I started looking for any people ever posted their results with the Gerson diet. And I was very surprised to see a lot of blogs from people mentioning they were quote unquote healed by the Gerson diet. And there was a woman who had a sarcoma of her arm. I think she at the time she was 18, she did the Gerson diet. They told her she would have to amputate the arm. She didn't have to amputate the arm. She, she lived many more years, but I don't know how many more years. And there were multiple, multiple patients that I saw online talking about their, you know, quote unquote healing. Uh, there, to my knowledge, there's no randomized control perspective study on the Gerson diet, but what I did find is that there was a Dr. Mormon who was a Cornelius Mormon, a Dutch physician, my husband's from the Netherlands, my last name is Kramers, that's a Dutch last name, who developed a similar diet to Dr. Gerson around the same time, 1950s, it was called the Mormon diet, uh, or the Mormon therapy. And they did not know about each other because there was no internet and there was no publications on their research. And my husband actually in Book Smear knows a woman in her on his street that actually used this therapy and actually did live many years after a fatal diagnosis of cancer. So that's the case of one, which doesn't mean too much. But it was very interesting because the Dr. Mormon diet was approved by the Royal College of Physicians in the Netherlands for many years. It was used all around Europe. But from one moment to the next in my research, which was limited at that time when I did this research in 2015, uh, his license was stripped by the Netherlands. He was ostracized and probably died an ignoble death, which I don't understand why that happened. So his diet was similar to the Gerson in the sense that it was dietary changes of, of course, eliminating all processed foods, all sugars, uh, things basically just kind of using natural remedies, such as making sure you have a good kind of multivitamin, vitamins, minerals, enzymes. Um, that's as much as I know by his diet, and I couldn't find any papers to kind of specify what he meant by this, but he would recommend whole foods. Uh, I don't think he's had any 
negative statement about gluten, but he definitely was against processed foods and sugars, which make total sense, eating vegetables. So that was the Dr. Mormon diet. So as time went on, I then saw the research of Dr. Walter Longo. He is a basically Italian-American biogerontologist, cell biologist, who's a PhD, not an MD. He is currently in the University of South Carolina, uh, sorry, Southern California, that's a big difference, sorry, University of Southern California, sorry, Dr. Longo, uh, and also runs the USC Longevity Institute. I've been following his research now for years. He did a very interesting study where he took two cages of mice or rats with melanoma, exactly what my friend is having, uh, dealing with, and he gave one cage the typical American diet we all feed our kids and grandkids and we all live on, and he gave the other cage of rats a very strict fasting diet. And his theory, which was a caloric restricted fasting diet, and he thought that that fasting diet side, those rats would die faster because that's the way the American uh, uh, College of Can uh, the American uh, Cancer Society, sorry, American Cancer Society was recommending that patients who are undergoing chemo and radiation should eat a lot of food, get like robust in their in their diet, so they can undergo the chemo and radiation, which tends to devastate cells. So he thought that rats that were fasting were gonna die faster, but what he found is the ones that received the American diet, the, the USDA approved diet we feed our children and we eat, those died, I think the number was about 30% faster. They died faster. So he then killed the rats, he sacrificed the rats, looked at the cells and did another study to find beautiful research that when you fast, that's the best way to kill cancer cells, to, stay, to just sacrifice or suffocate those cancer cells. So fasting was incredible, an incredible cancer treatment. And that's the reason why those other rats, the fasting rats, died so much slower. So he developed a fasting mimicking diet. You can go to his blog. He has a podcast, I think, now. He's written many books, many papers. I think he's totally on the right track uh, with fasting because fasting does seem to do amazing things of killing cells. And I would say, well, the saints and there's many religious people through history who have recommended fasting from meat, fasting in general. Of course, there's Lent. There's a lot of spiritual sense and fasting, but for your own cells, it actually makes now biologic sense and we have some data to prove it. Okay, so what is the best anti-cancer diet? And that's really the kind I want to talk about. And so when you talk about anti-cancer diets, there's a lot of doctors out there that have their different diets. Uh, there's Dr. William Lee and Dr. Vincent Lee, who were my uh, kind of uh, I would say I'd met with them a couple of times when I was at Harvard working with Dr. Folkman. Uh, Dr. Folkman was the father of angiogenesis. You've heard me maybe talk about that in previous podcasts. He's the one that really saw and, and really did a lot of publications and research at Harvard showing that cancer does spread through angiogenesis. And if we can stop the angiogenesis, the new blood vessel supply. So if, if you're a mutated cell, you need to eat. And so you're going to recruit these pathways called blood vessels to give you oxygen and food. And so that's called, these new blood vessels are called angiogenesis. And Dr. Folkman, I think, is pretty much the father of angiogenesis, most people would think. Dr. William Lee and Dr. Vincent Lee worked in Dr. Folkman's lab, and they now have launched their own careers talking about their research in trying to decrease cancer rates with diet and nutrition and, and minerals, and, and, and they're great. I think they're, they're on the right track as well. You have Dr. Dean uh, Ornish, who is a cardiologist who talks a lot about chronic disease, including cancer. He emphasizes plant-based diets, stress reduction, exercise, which I think all these doctors, of course, recommend. 
but there's a little bit of difference in certain doctors we're going to talk about in just a few minutes. Dr. Furman, uh, Joel Furman, F-U-H-R-M-A-N, is a family physician who promotes a plant-based diet. Our own Dr. Martinez here in the practice, he's been very open about this, was diagnosed with high cholesterol. His, I think, father and uncles had died of stroke. When I first met, met Dr. Martinez, a couple of years after he started the Dr. Furman diet, met Dr. Furman, went on retreat with Dr. Furman, and uh, eventually cured his cholesterol issue without having to be on anti-cholesterol medication. Uh, still follows a lot of Dr. Furman's diet, but that's a very strict diet. I don't think there's any salt or olive oil allowed in that diet still, um, but it is very good for cholesterol, and Dr. Furman has a component of an anti-cancer diet as well. Uh, Dr. Colin Campbell is a biochemist and author for the author of the China study, which of course looks at the connection between diet and cancer. And cancer. Dr. Michael Greger is another uh, physician and author, is, runs the website nutritionfacts.org, so nutritionfacts.org. Uh, where he summarizes research on nutrition and things like cancer. Dr. Mark Hyman is also an author, a doctor, functional medicine doctor, where he talks about a lot about cancer and diet. I mentioned Dr. Gerson, who is now deceased. Dr. Mormon, who's a Dutch physician who's deceased. Uh, Dr. Walter Longo is still alive and kicking as a PhD. There's Dr. Gundry, who talks about um, lectins and health, and probably that affects cancer as well. And Dr. Atkins, who's deceased, who had the Atkins diet you've all heard of. We don't know what he died of yet, as far as I, I don't know, but that's another, not an anti-cancer diet, but just you know that's a different type of diet. And Dr. Fong, who basically talks a lot about trying to cure your diabetes as a renal doctor. And then there's the carnivorous doctors, which is this most superficial, uh, controversial doctors, which are not anti-cancer doctors really at this point. And I have no data to say this cures cancer, but just a quick shout out to Dr. Sean Baker and Dr. Dr. Saldino and Dr. Barry, they're doing this kind of carnivorous research. And so the last doctors I want to mention in the search for the truth of what's the best diet for patients are is doctors involved in the iodine project, Dr. Guy Abraham, Dr. David Brownstein, and Dr. Jorge Fletches. Uh, and I learned about this in this book called The Iodine Crisis by Lynn Farrow. This was given to me by my friend Angela. Thank you, Angela. Uh, they're looking to see why iodine has kind of left the diet of the American people and why people don't have iodized diet salt anymore. And I, when I looked at my cabinet in my house, I was horrified to see that they were right. I don't have, I didn't have iodized salt in my house. And so they have a the project trying to figure out where iodine fits in the anti-cancer world, which is still controversial. And a lot of this is controversial. So if I were told I had cancer today, what would I do? I'm going to kind of go through that. This is kind of the diet I'm doing kind of now to prevent mutations and growing of mutations and cancer itself. So let's go through that. So my mnemonic for this is FWPS. And FWP is kind of a funny mnemonic that came out many years ago when uh, a friend of mine, a priest, had mentioned to a bunch of ladies in a meeting one evening around 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, he said, uh, he gave a wonderful talk, and then he said, ladies, before you go to bed tonight, I want you to go home, look up on YouTube, FWP. And I was like, what is FWP? And he said, first world problems. And so I went home, looked it up, and it was a very funny video at the time. It went viral. And there was, you know, it was like too much, I have too much uh, cereal and not enough milk and too much milk and not enough cereal. Or this person was, you know, kind of freezing to death and saying, it's so cold in this room. I wish I could go over there and turn down the, turn up the AC because it's at 70. And, and that idea that we have a lot of first world problems. And this 
uh, hit home last night, uh, we have uh, Father John Gibson, a dear friend who was Mother Teresa's first ordained priest and um, did the uh, marriage ceremony for my husband and myself to get married 23 years ago, 24 years ago. And, you know, when I was serving dinner, he was so thankful. He's a missionary in Africa. And he really has reminded me that the choices we make to eat the food we eat in the United States is really a first world problem for many, many worlds, I should say. In Tanzania, where he lives, it's not necessarily a given you're going to have fresh leafy vegetables at all on weeks and weeks at a time. So I want to kind of go through that. So thanks, thanks, you know. Thanks be to God, I should say, that we have this option. But for you, what should you do? So here is the mnemonic that I use, FWPS. The first one is fasting. So in my previous podcast, I talked about Dr. Walter Longo's research. Look into it. All of this, you should always check with your medical doctor first. But a lot of medical doctors just don't know. So you want to find somebody that's literate in the medical field, in the the nutrition dietary field, uh, that's also an MD because a lot of MDs get zero nutrition uh, schooling and school. So my first is fasting, and that's what I do now. I try to limit my food intake to about four hours. Of course, there are exceptions, but generally that's what I try to do. And so feeling your belly hungry and grumbling is actually good for your cells and it makes your cells stronger and it kills cancer cell mutation mutated cells so fasting is a good thing assuming you're not diabetic on insulin and you faint you can't do this if you have a condition that is dangerous so obviously check with your doctor first number one is fasting number two is fruits and vegetables so eating a lot of organic fruits and vegetables it's controversial on the fruit side if you're diabetic you don't want to have bananas and apples and oranges all the time but you have some berries once in a while just watch the sugar because fruits are sugar Uh, vegetables generally are pretty non-controversial except for carrots and peas which are very sugary you may not want to just eat carrots and peas if you have diabetes but generally green leafy vegetables like kale collard greens brussels sprouts um, broccoli all these kinds of green vegetables we eat a lot of it in my house Uh, we love i love to put kale uh, with a little bit of olive oil a little bit of turmeric and paprika the spices are very good those antioxidants in the oven we make them crisp the kids love it we eat a lot of spinach and when i say vegetables i don't mean boiled vegetables I, i'm a big downer on boiling your vegetables because then you throw out the water which i think has all the nutrients i think pretty much everybody agrees on that and you don't really get the nutrients so fresh leafy vegetables is the best uh cooked a little bit is probably okay for sure but that's the vegetable and the fruits and vegetables the next the third is fiber so eating a lot of legumes and nuts and so i have a big nut eater my family is too the whole grain part of it is a little bit more controversial if you have an autoimmune disease let's say you don't want to eat gluten i don't need any gluten or try not to eat gluten and the whole grains component with the carbohydrates you have to be careful if you have diabetes but in general kind of maybe a gluten-free that's what i'm doing a whole grain kind of diet i have a little bit of quinoa sometimes and a little bit of oats sometimes but mostly nuts and legumes and then number four is fat so eating healthy fats like avocado nuts seeds olive oil avoid trans fats or saturated fats always um, number five is fit being fit and staying uh, in, in good shape and exercising 10,000 steps a day is kind of the minimum for, minimum for cardiothoracic health. Trying to exercise and sweat at least three times a week is good for cancer reduction. Even if you're bedridden or homebound, there are things you can do. You can move your arms sometimes like this or you can move your feet. So think about things you can do uh, to kind of stay motion in motion. And swimming is wonderful. Biking is wonderful. So talk to your doctor about that as well. 
Then we get into the W of FWPS, the weight control, portion control, staying fit. We know that people that are overweight or obese have a higher risk of certain types of cancer, so please keep that in your mind to try to keep your weight under control. Uh, water, drinking at least 64 ounces of water a day, avoid sugary drinks. Herbal tea, some people think green tea is an anti-cancer potential option, so think about herbal teas is good, ideally avoiding sugar with your tea. The P of FWPS is protein and processed foods, so protein, lean protein, like wild salmon, like we talked about in the previous podcast. Uh, the whole red meat component is very controversial. Most doctors would say red meat is bad for gastrointestinal cancer, like colorectal cancer, colon cancer. The carnivorous diet doctors is still very controversial. I still don't understand them. We'll have to see what they die of, honestly, but I'm not convinced that's going to help with cancer risk, so we'll see. But lean protein, like organic, or I should say wild salmon, uh, fish, and uh, you can get also protein from other uh, components like uh, plant-based proteins like beans and tofu um, are options as well. I'm a big more beans eater than tofu, and we eat a lot of uh, salmon and fish, so protein. And, and lean, um, lean chicken, we have chicken as, as well. So ideally organic protein is good. And then processed foods, try to never feed your kids processed foods, which is really hard when you're a busy working mom. The only processed food we eat, I think currently right now, is cauliflower pizza from Costco. That is our kind of one um, guilty pleasure on a busy working day when I'm exhausted, I'll make that for the kids. So that's the only processed food right now we're eating routinely, maybe once a week. Uh, that's that's otherwise we try to get rid of those. And then the two S's for the FWPS is salt and sugar. Sugar is a no-no, um, pretty much always, but we do of course have uh, types of you know, we do have dessert from, from time to time. So if the recipe calls for a cup of sugar, I'll put in a fraction of the sugar, the real sugar, and put a little stevia in, which is a little bit more natural plant. Stevia is a plant that's pretty safe. And salt, limit your salt, not too much salt because of the risk of stomach cancer. And if you're gonna have some salt, according to this book called The Iodine Crisis, which I'm reading right now, uh, have iodized salt with it, but not too much salt. So those are the FWPS mnemonics. The other thing I want to mention with the red meat controversy is sarcopenia, which means a lack of muscle mass, which can lead to all other kinds of problems like fractures, falling, not uh, bouncing back from an illness or surgery. So that red meat issue is still controversial because Dr. Longo thinks, yes, you should have red meat. He's the anti-cancer fasting mimicking diet, but not too much and be careful, you know, ideally organic and try to avoid sarcopenia by eating protein. And then the carnivorous doctors are saying just eat red meat and nothing else, which I'm still kind of trying to understand. So just that statement about red meat. And then the last thing I would do if I had cancer that I'm not doing right now is enemas. And that doesn't fit in the mnemonic, but I think I have enough protein to avoid that. But I think Dr. Gerson was on the right track with detoxification and trying to rid your body of toxins. So a lot of drinking water, a lot of fiber to just poop out all the toxins that will protect yourself usually of toxification, of, of just toxins staying in your body and potentially leading to more mutations. But again, that's completely 
completely theoretical. I have honestly not seen a study to say that enemas are going to prevent cancer or treat cancer or cure cancer at all. But I think there's something to that that I would love to see a randomized controlled study, which is very difficult to do with enemas, as you can imagine. And the ones that Dr. Gerson recommend were coffee ground enemas. And in my previous podcast, you can hear the little story about that uh, with my friends, Ceci and Lily. Uh, That's it. So those are the key things I wanted to mention. I hope you found this helpful. Please subscribe to the channel and pass it on. Uh, I would always say as a eye surgeon, blink, just listen to me. Don't watch me. But I hope you found this helpful. Pass it on. Thank you for joining us. 